Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. It's about the doing, not the result. But it's hard for people. It's hard for people. If you get stuck thinking about the results, it's scary to do the the doing that's going to get you to where you need to go and the courage to continue because, you know, there's just so many times that people are going to say no. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Welcome back again for part two of Leah Thompson. Very, very excited about this episode. The first one, if you listen to it, was really, really cool and incredible and very inspiring. And the second part is not going to disappoint you. Before I can, before I get started, I just want to thank you guys so much for all your support. As always, I know I'm a broken record, but I just want to let you guys know how much it means to me that you have been so, so incredibly supportive. Thanks for all your messages. Thanks for all your FedExes. Thanks for everything you do. If you are on the East Coast or in the Montreal area, we are at the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival on Friday, July 27th at 1.30 at the Hyatt Regency in front of a live audience with a very special surprise guest who will not disappoint you. The last two times I've been there, we had Kent Alterman, the president of Comedy Central, and the other time was Howie Mandel. And this year will be no different and it will not disappoint. And before I get started, I always like to look at my guest and think of something I'm going to say. And when I look at Leah Thompson, all I can think about is what my sociology professor at Boston University used to tell me. There's two things that make a human being totally happy. Reciprocal love and fruitful labor that puts a roof over your head and puts food on the table. And throughout the past 40 years, Leah Thompson has done just about everything you can imagine in the business, from Broadway to television 
to blockbuster feature films to the ballet. Everything you can imagine. And on the other side has been in an almost three-decade marriage with her husband, Howie Deutsch, who's a very accomplished director, and has two children that are incredibly talented. Zoe Deutsch, who is on the rise as one of the top young female movie stars of our time, and Madeline, who just wrote and did the music and starred in with her sister and her mom, The Year of Spectacular Men, which is coming out June 16th in selected theaters across the country. And it's just incredible when you think about what this woman has done. I am blown away by it. I mean, she's been face to face in the ballet with Baryshnikov. She's been on a set with Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Clint Eastwood, Mary Tyler Moore, Tom Cruise. She's had her own sitcom that went close to a hundred episodes of the title role, Caroline in the City. She's directed amazing episodes of television, including the hundredth episode of the Goldbergs. And throughout it all, somehow, some way, has humility. I mean, if you can figure out a way wherever you are in the small town you're at, in her case, it was somewhere in Minnesota, where you can come from nothing, you just have a vision of what you want. And then when you're in the middle of that vision, like she was in terms of ballet and those kind of performing arts, and you get your legs cut out from under you by one of the greatest people in the world, essentially telling you you're not good enough to just pick yourself back up and find another lane like she did in acting. She keeps going and finds a different thing inside of her that she knows she's talented and great at and becomes successful at that while simultaneously having a marriage going close to three decades in this town, which is like 70 in dog years. And then not only that, raising two amazing daughters who are so talented and so incredible, especially in this new movie, The Year of Spectacular Men. So if you can figure out how to do all those things in your life, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of having the kind of career that Leah Thompson has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in showbiz and you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. As an actor, after the guy or girl 
does their drama dance or whatever they do on the set and they storm off to their trailer. Are you the kind of actress that walks up to the director privately and says, God give you strength. I feel for you. 100%. And, and you know what? I've been saved by a lot of actors when another actor was being like that, especially when I'm doing episodic. If, you know, when someone, they're, they're a family already and they know the crazy uncle and they, you know, they'll save me. And what Lee is alluding to is when you direct an episode of insert television series here that you've directed because you've directed about 50 of them probably. It's a family in the sense that the crew, everybody, there's all these unions, everybody's there and they're all there together. And that year, now people might be switched out Mm -hmm. sometimes during a certain year in between, but for that 22 or those 25 episodes or 13, they're there. And what she's saying when they know the bad uncle, they know the guy or the woman who's the darkness who's going to be removed. Or even not, or there's no way they're going to get rid of them, but they'll they'll step in when someone's going to bully you and like help. And that's happened to me a lot. That even happened to me on Switched at Birth when I directed my show Switched at Birth. And um, I remember Vanessa Morano who played my daughter, like there's just the greatest cast, but someone was being annoying. Like, why would I do that? And you're like, because... The writers told me I had to tell you, you know, and uh, she was just like, oh, well, let me fix this. You know, so I've been saved by a lot of people, um, you know, when people are being difficult and actors are difficult and people are difficult for such gigantic different you know, reasons. And, you know, I try to be understanding about it. Cosby, before he became the Cosby that we know, he used to say, listen, the script, I'll fix it on the floor. He would just improvise almost everything and have to go along with it. And it worked for him. Yeah. There's some really difficult situations, but luckily I've been really lucky about that. I've been able to, I have a good barometer for people who I don't want to work with and I just don't end up working with them. Now, when you do comedies, as you know, and you've directed some stand-ups who have become actors in shows, they never will do the line that's in the script, only that line. I mean, they might do it four times if it's an audience. Do you get upset when they do another line, or do you get excited when a comedian just keeps doing a different line every time? Oh, I think it's exciting. I mean, I I think that's great. I appreciate that, and I think, you know, it's really important, and also really important in really sad scenes to let people kind of, like, put it in their own words, because... Certain words are really powerful to different people, you know, that they mean a lot more to other people. And uh, so, you know, I think it's important to create an environment where people can create. Uh, Writers have a different opinion, though, and TV writers are the king, so they can get really mad about that. So you really have to gauge that, um, you know, because that's your job as the kind of person there to, like, make sure the script gets done. So then what you do is my husband's a genius at this. You get it. And then you say, do one for yourself or do two for yourself, as many as you can have. But, you know, people being difficult is a drag, but it does create a certain energy on set, which can sometimes be really funny. All right. I want to go way, way back. Okay. Take me back to where you grew up, the family, the socioeconomic dynamic and what was your first thing that happened that was your inspiration to getting into this crazy business? I was born in Rochester, Minnesota, which is a small town in southern Minnesota, which is uh, famous for having the Mayo Clinic. So there was a huge 
social thing in my in my youth, which was that my mother and dad were really poor. We had five kids and like a two bedroom house and all their friends were super rich doctors and stuff like that. So it was a weird situation for my mother and for all of us. Um, We were like the poor, funny, talented family and all my family was in the Nutcracker. And I was the only one that wasn't in the Nutcracker. And so that made me want to be on stage. They were all in the ballet, this little ballet company. They were all on stage. I was sitting in the audience. I was like three or four. And so I was like, I'm going to get up there. So my brother was a dancer, and um, he still is a dancer. He's been doing the Nutcracker every year since 1963, 64. So he, yeah. And now, now he's old as heck. So he's always been a dancer, and he he and his wife ran a company. And so I kind of followed him into that. And, um, you know, my mom had this great way of making us feel really special because even though we had nothing, we were artists. And my mother is an amazing artist. My mother kept painting until she died. She just died last July. She had a stroke with a paintbrush in her hand. She just was still doing it. She was still painting. She still wanted to finish that painting before she died. And I would imagine that most of the paintings in the movie were her paintings. Yes, they were. Because you don't realize that. You have to get uh, clearance for all art. And so (laughs) I was like the greatest thing. I just had all this art in my house and it was in the movie. So I, I was like a struggling artist for like my whole childhood and it was not the time where like it is now where like everybody drove you to work to your class and paid for it and bought you your tutu or whatever I had to do everything myself I had to wait for the bus I had to get a scholarship I had to um you know make it all happen for myself and I really wasn't successful like I the the dance company I was in, the, the the woman who ran the dance company was really amazing, an amazing artist. She created these incredible pieces. She was really formidable. And she, for whatever reason, didn't think I was that good. So I never really got the great parts. And so when I was 18, I moved to Philadelphia to be in the Pennsylvania Ballet. And um, they didn't love me there either. <laughs> so I moved to New York and started acting because I couldn't get a good job as a as a as a dancer i failed into acting for sure so you and maddie have a lot in common yeah we have broken hearts for sure so why do you think at that time in your life people were telling you that you're not good enough but they were telling other people that they were good enough well ballet is really difficult it's really about your body in a lot of ways and my body just wasn't cooperating it wasn't very stretchy or bendy it was more, I probably could have had a pretty decent career as a modern dancer, but I wanted the kind of like, the, I wanted to do the hardest thing, which is ballet. And I wasn't, wasn't really good enough. And so that's why they told me. I, it, was, it was really, it was really a, a, a dream come true. I mean, a blessing <laughs> because I could have kept trying to, you know, knock on this door that wouldn't open. Instead, I started acting. So what was the moment that happened to you when you decided, I'm not putting on these toe shoes anymore, 
and I'm going to try acting. Well, it's really dramatic, and they people bring it up in all kinds of interviews, but it really did happen. I was in the ABT, too, and um, I was trying to get into ABT, which is the American Ballet Theater. And at that time, the, this incredible, famous dancer, Mikhail Baryshnikov, he was running the company, and it was the last day where they had to decide whether who was going to graduate you know, and move on and who was going to, they were going to let go. And he was letting me go. And he was kind enough to, to take me aside and say, you're a really beautiful dancer, but you're just too stocky for our company. And I weighed like 92 pounds. And I was like, oh, damn. You know, I I did look at him and it, my, my heart did break. And I grabbed my bag and I was like, I'm not doing this. I got to the top. I'm not getting in. I'm going to go do something else. So that that was, it was a great gift. And people always talk about it. And I did see Maddie, my daughter Maddie was uh, like, a, like a jazz prodigy and she was playing in New York for this big event and Brishnikov was there and I was like sneaking around because like I'm always forced to say that story and I'm afraid he's heard it. And he's like, I'm not the one that did this to you. You know, <laughs> you were just not talented. You're right. You're right. I wasn't. How does a woman deal with the fact that one of the greatest people in the world says you're stocky when you're 92 pounds. How do you handle that? Well, what he meant was I wasn't good enough, and I knew that. But it was difficult, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a bad day. Let me just say it was a bad day. Uh, but then I became, you know, then I became an actress. But you say you became an actress, but you weren't studying acting. No. You didn't know the craft. There's that comes from being a dancer like I'd been on stage and I'd also done a play or two so you're in New York how are you surviving in New York yeah I didn't have any money so I was wait waiting tables and what kind of place did you live in uh, a really crappy place um, uh, like a like a brownstone walk-up I think by the time we left nothing worked that was that way they would get you out did you live alone or no I had a roommate Carolyn Gore and we lived in this, like, crappy apartment. Like a studio? No, it was one bedroom. So I slept in the living room and she slept in the bedroom. But, like, nothing worked by the time we... Not the sink, not the toilet, not the stove, not the heat, nothing. Because they were trying to rent control. They were trying to get people out. So how do you get your first opportunities as an actress in New York City when you don't have an agent, you don't have a manager, you don't have anybody looking out for you, you, don't, you haven't had formal training... Even when you get into an audition, you're going up against Juilliard people and heavily trained people. How do you win? How do you get your first role? And what's your first break in New York City? Well, I was lucky enough that my uncle and my cousin were actors. So they sent me to their manager, whose name was Cy Maslow, who actually managed Tom Hanks for quite some time. But that was way before that. And he was like, Ugh, I've got this dancer so he sent me to someone in a couple floors below named uh, Sal Calicio. He sang at weddings on the weekends. And <laughs> he sent me up for a bunch of stuff. And I got the first thing I ever auditioned for, which was a Burger King commercial. And they had the best casting director because you can Google this right online right now. You can see a commercial with Sarah Michelle Gellar, Leah Thompson and Elizabeth Shue, a Burger King commercial. That was a good casting director, yes? Wow. So, yes, yeah, Sarah Michelle Gellar sitting on my lap, and it's a Burger King commercial. So 
I did those. I got those right away because nobody in New York apparently could say, aren't you, as well as I could. Because I'm from Minnesota, so, you know, I could say, aren't you, with no problem. Um, so, yeah, I got that. And then I got, I don't know how I got my first movie, Jaws 3D, which was actually a really big movie for Universal. Um, I did a monologue, I remember, that I improvised. And in it, I think I said I threw my diaphragm at my boyfriend. That's all I remember when I got the part. <laughs> and what was it like working a shark movie? Now, obviously, they're still very popular. I was so bad in that movie. But I did a lot of really cool stunts. I had to do a three-tier water ski pyramid. Have you ever seen that with, like, Three people on the bottom, two no, people I... standing on their shoulders, and one person standing on top. And then we had to break it, which is also really dangerous. I had to fall backwards and break the pyramid because usually the pyramid, you step down. So I had to learn all that stuff, right? You know, so because I was a dancer, it didn't seem weird to me. But it, uh, they were smart to cast me. Any other actress wouldn't have been able to do it. That was the one where the end with all the kids on the different votes. Yes. I remember Jaws 4 with Michael Caine, the next one, where he actually <laughs> got out of the water and his clothes were dry. That was a fascinating scene. Yeah, that movie was really bad. It was really bad. Uh, but anyway, I that was my first movie, and I was really bad in it, but I did do cool stunts. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, I'm excited to introduce a new award-winning groundbreaking product to all of you and I'm talking about Boku Superfoods. These are the highest quality, most nutrient-dense superfood formulations on the planet and the healthiest thing a person could ever consume. They're filled with the most powerfully nutritious and healthiest parts of the plants, vegetables, roots, and fruits that are doctor-formulated into a blend of naturally healthy, easily digestible proteins that are certified organic, kosher, and vegan with no soy, no dairy, whey, or fillers of any kind. All you have to do is go to bokusuperfoods.com, that's B-O-K-U superfoods.com, type in the promo code Barry, check out all their products, and you'll get 20% off everything which you can't find in any store in the world. I'm telling you, I use these products. They're the highest quality. 
They're vine ripened, harvested fresh, dried at low temperatures, and then gently powdered. These extraordinary powders are then blended into delicious concentrates that when reintroduced to liquid, unleash the strongest levels of healing nutrition for your body that you will ever experience. So check out the entire range of organic Boku Superfood products at bokusuperfoods.com, promo code Barry, and save 20% off store-wide. Look your best, feel your best, and flood your body with a tidal wave of nature's most potent organic superfoods. There is no other choice. What's your first break where you're like, holy shit, I'm really working on a great film with great people and this is crazy. I don't know. I mean, I always felt, because like what you're saying, I never really studied acting and never really, you know, was like, I want to be an actor. So I always felt like I was playing catch up to learning about stuff. But I guess when I did All the Right Moves, it was a a big deal because Tom Cruise was so serious and... The director was such a great DP, and Jan de Bont was the the DP. It was the first time he'd ever done a movie in America, and you know we were going for something. I still wasn't very good in it, but it's probably. And then Red Dawn, I loved Red Dawn. That was John Milius. That was super fun, riding horses and shooting guns and stuff. Um, and we were super method. Like I wouldn't wear any makeup even on my days off. I didn't even want mascara to be like on my eyelashes, and we were like you know, doing crazy things on the weekends, um, running around with AK-47s. It was really weird. But then, yeah, of course, Back to the Future, which was, which I was, you know, I I think I finally really figured out how to be an actress by the time I did that movie, and it was such a great part. And I'm really happy that I didn't squander that opportunity. I really worked hard on that part, and it was it was a great casting. That All the casting in that movie is impeccable everyone was good and um you know so that that movie was like and you know and i'm still living off it now (laughs) so that's that was a a great moment and i think people had to take me seriously because it was obvious that that was an acting part i wasn't lorraine mcfly in any of those incarnations those were all created by me you know in my mind all those different people I worked really hard on. Do you remember certain roles that you got where there was a screen test, which doesn't happen that often anymore, but where you actually, like television, you went to a certain studio and you're in a waiting room and there's one other actress or Mm. two other actresses. Do you remember certain actresses that were there next to you that you still see to this day? And do you remember parts that you really came close to and then the movie comes out and you're like, I can't believe she got that one. I could have done well on that one. The worst one for me was uh, Steel Magnolias because I I remember being there with Julia Roberts and I don't remember anybody else there but me and Julia Roberts and that she got a nomination for an Academy Award and I remember that was like, oh, that would have really changed my career. That and... Um, there was a great movie called Clean and Sober. I love that movie. Yeah, I was really close to that one, too. But my car broke down. I was driving my friend's pacer, and my car broke down. Also, that same car broke down when for um, the audition for, uh, no, the Terminator, the first Terminator. 
they were very interested in me for that part. The Linda Hamilton role. Yes. But my car broke down and, and, and destroyed one of their trees. It slid down this pacer. I had to pour in uh, transmission fluid, and the, there was no transmission fluid. So I, it was on Mulholland, and it was like this, like a, a driveway like this, and it was raining. I slid down the hill and broke one of their new trees at their house, at James Cameron's house. <laughs> and uh, I never recovered. <laughs> so I didn't get that part. And I think they were really interested in me. That would have changed the course of my career. I would have been an action star. That would have been cool. But uh, in terms of who I beat for parts, I know that they, uh, Howie fired the girl on some kind of wonderful and put me in her place. So that would have changed the course of history if he wouldn't have fired her. And I can't remember her name. Kim Delaney. He fired Kim Delaney. And I had to sit next to her <laughs> like two years ago with Howie. And I was, we were like, well, it worked out for us. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so your daughter's obviously going through relationships and people who break their hearts and don't break their hearts. You're a young actress in town. You're doing some great roles. And you're dating. How was your life before you met Howie, your husband, on some kind of wonderful, did it parallel your two daughters' lives? Well, you know, it was, it, was a hard, it was hard for me when I did my first movie because I really didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything. I was just a dancer from Minnesota or whatever. And um, I had no kind of, uh, what would it be like? I had nobody to help me. So I immediately started dating Dennis Quaid, who at the time was married. Not a good story. <laughs> and, and you knew he was married. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Uh, but so then he left his wife, and then I started dating him for a long time. So that's I, was, I went from him to Howie. You don't seem like the kind of vibe that... Well, you know, it didn't really feel like that, but, you know, that's what happened. That's the actual truth of what happened. And... But I was with Dennis for like four years. I mean, I can't picture some woman coming on a set saying, you homewrecker. She's thanked me. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> She's been like, thank you for doing that. I don't think they were in great shape. Um, but, you know, I don't know. That's between them. But um, that's what happened. And But I stayed with him for four years. We were actually engaged for like four years. But then I was like, mm. you know, when you're engaged for four years, it's like, mm. This isn't really great. Either, there's a reason you didn't get married. So when I met Howie. Did you meet Howie when you were with Dennis? Yeah, it's a bad story. But the only good news is that I've been married for this long. Yeah, it's not. I'm not proud of this. So you're going out with Dennis. You're engaged. He fires Kim Delaney on it, some kind of wonderful, the John Hughes film. And he obviously has to audition you. You don't just get hired without him auditioning you. It's really a more complicated story. That The story of Some Kind of Wonderful is actually a really weird story. He, Howie was directing it with John Hughes. Uh, it was one script. It was, a, it was a completely different script than you saw. You could make a movie out of the original script, and it would be, you'd be like, what's that movie? Um, and Howie quit the movie because he, he, he offered me the movie. I said no. I, I had Howard the Duck coming out which was going to be a big hit. 
So I was a big star. I wasn't going to do this part because it wasn't the very good part. The other other girl's part was better. And so uh, I I said no. Howie said he couldn't cast the movie. He had a nervous breakdown. He's a very neurotic dude. He quit. Then, then John Hughes hired <clears throat> someone else to direct the movie. She hired Eric Stoltz, Mary Stuart Masterson, Kim Delaney, and somebody else. And so then she rewrites this, gets John to rewrite the script to make it much darker. And then I don't know what exactly happened, but John fired her and had Howie come back. There was a new script. Howard the Duck came out. I was in free fall. Uh, my friend Eric Stoltz said, do you want to do this movie? And I said, yes. And then he fired Kim Delaney and somebody else and hired uh, uh, Craig Sheffer. So that's what happened with that movie. Howie had already offered it to me, and then I had turned it down, and then I took it again. So that's how that weird – it was really weird. It was a whole weird thing. And Eric had been fired from Back to the Future, so – and. It was a whole thing. It was just very, it was a weird experience. And so I was kind of breaking up with Dennis. So by the end of the movie, Howie asked me out and I broke up with Dennis. They say a woman knows within five minutes of meeting a man if she's going to be with him. Did you know when you met Howie that you were going to be with him? No. No, I didn't. I didn't. He was very different than like Dennis. You know, he was a different kind of guy. He was, like, in a position of power. He was older. He was furry. You know, he was a different kind of guy than I was used to. Dennis was, like, you know, all the guys I'd been with are, like, really athletic and, you know, goyim, you know. So <laughs> Howie was very different kind of guy, very attractive. For um, those of you non-Jews in the audience, goyim <laughs> is non-Jewish. And Howie was very neurotic. He was New York. He had that accent. He was, you know, exotic to me. And, um, but I, you know, I, I instantly loved the way he thought. He was really funny. He was so great. He always wore his heart on his sleeve. Dealing with the craziness of the different actors on a movie and seeing him, I felt for him all the time. It's, it's a hard gig when there's so many different personalities. And mm -hmm. like you said, it's time. You're trying to get time done and you're trying to stay in budget and you're trying to get everything out of every actor that you know they're capable of. He's a good man. He is. And he, he, he was definitely a good person to have children with. I mean, we really, we created like, especially Zoe is like this, like, uh, hybrid Hollywood. <laughs> like she thinks about business. She thinks about art. She thinks about connections. Like she's got both of our kind of strong points. And, you know, we created this little monster of, you know, that she can really get things done. She's got that, the politics from him and the art from me. And they're like, it's really amazing. But he's he's been, you know, I was right. I was right to have children with him. I wanted to make a stable life for kids. And he's been a really good partner to me. And I remember something really, this is really, it's personal, but it's really profound to me. When we had a really bad time one time, really, everything was just really bad. And I was like, I remember we were like laying in bed and it was dark. And I said to him, you got to go. I can't. I can't do this anymore. You got to leave. We have to break up. And it was like this moment of silence. And he went, 
No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, um, we're good together. We'll get through this. I'm not going. And it was so simple, but there's so many times in those situations where someone just goes, yeah, right, and leaves. You know, like, he just, like, he, he did that where he just, with such strength, he just said, no, we're going to make it through this. And it was very powerful to me, and it was very quiet. But after that, it was fine. And he was right. Normally, I always say it takes a strong woman to keep the train on the tracks, but I guess it takes a strong Howie to keep the train on the tracks. He knew something I didn't, you know, just like get through that moment. And that's, I, I mean, my parents got divorced and it was fine. I think they should have gotten divorced. And my mother married my stepfather, who I love, love, love. You know, he's gone now, but with every fiber of my being, I love that man. And a lot of who I am is him. So I don't think it's you should always have to stay married, but in my case, it's been um, it's been a, a weird little miracle. Hey, everybody! I know I've talked a lot on this show about AquaTrue, the countertop water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler purifier that's on your counter. It's only about maybe 10 to 12 inches high and maybe 10 to 12 inches wide in this triangle. It's this amazingly efficient piece of equipment that sits right on your counter. It has a nice pitcher. It has a press button where the water comes out and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just put your tap water in there and it purifies. It takes out all the bad chemicals, everything out, and gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine that would cost you hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store where the plastic containers hurt the environment. It's just so much easier, so much better. And this product is amazing. I have one. Everyone who comes over, everyone who uses it, they order one. And you should too. I'm telling you, it's incredible. And if you act now, you can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry. That's B-A-R-R-Y. And you'll immediately get the huge discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. IndustryStandardWater.com, promo code Barry. And you'll never, ever waste another dollar buying another bottle of water for your home again. One, two, three, cinco, six. Six Degrees of Separation. Six Degrees of Separation. I'm going to mention some names. Just tell me anything that comes to mind. <laughs> okay. Could be just one word. It could be a sentence. It could be a little story. Whatever it is. Gary Shandling. Oh, I loved him. Everyone loved him. Um, I remember I did his show, the Larry Sanders show. But even before that, at at this particular time in the 90s when I had 
Carolina in the city, I was doing every single award show and he was doing every single award show. And so we would always like hang out and I would try to make him uncomfortable, which of course was really easy. And he would make me feel comfortable with like this because I just didn't feel like I was that funny. And he would kind of like help me and be really encouraging. And like everyone, like I've seen his documentary. The Zen Diaries by Judd Apatow. Amazing how much people love him. Michael J. Fox. Well, Michael, I always have, I have this really interesting relationship with him because of Back to the Future, but also because my friend was fired and he was, he took his place. Eric was fired from Back to the Future. What was he not giving? He was just doing a different movie. He was just in another movie. He was making a, a much more dramatic movie. Um, And when I look at the movie now... Uh, I can see what gigantic acting styles each one of us in the, our starring roles was doing. Like, you know, Tom Wilson was doing this crazy thing, and Chris Lloyd was doing this massive, like, I don't know what it was. So when Michael was brought in, I presume there was more than one actor brought in to... No, they always wanted Michael. They couldn't get him because he was doing his TV show. So he ended up, they, they just had to bend to the TV show. So they would put him, he was working very, basically 24 hours a day. So there was only Michael that they wanted because Michael was, and when you watch the performance, Michael is just doing like Buster Keaton. You know, he's doing, he's doing really old fashioned comedy with the spit takes and double takes. And he would work really hard on all these little things that he would do, like kicking up his, he would work on things, physical bits, which did, was not the style of acting at the time, you know. Like that, to me, was just like grotesque, you know. But when you watch the movie, you know, he kicks his, his he opens up this like latch like this and he jumps off his skateboard like this and he does all these cool moves and he falls off everything and, you know, double takes and his voice cracks. It's all, it's all well planned and well choreographed. And he's amazing. So Michael, now I see him because we do a lot of panels at conventions and things like that. And um, he's just still so funny. He's funny and smart. I I appreciate him in a way that I didn't at the time. The cast of Friends. I did one Friends, and they were like the gods of ABC, of NBC Must See TV. And I was right before them. I was sandwiched between Friends and ER in which is perhaps the greatest time slot in the history of TV, <laughs> at least in the last 40 years. So I was lucky enough to be there. Um, you know, that was, I wish that would have been more fun for me. That was a really difficult four years for me. I felt, I never felt supported. They were very not supportive to me. I had the time slot, but no one ever actually, I honestly believe this, no one on the writing staff, inclu and including, Jimmy Burroughs really thought that I was funny or they thought I had something, but they didn't have any faith in me. And it was really hard. That's a terrible position to be in. And I had no help. The only person that helped me was Bob Broder. Honestly, Bob Broder was really, he's a, a manager and now a producer. He was one of the greatest literary agents of all time. And that's how I remember it. I just remember that they w had no faith in me being funny. So 
you know, you've been at sitcom sets. It's like really scary. But your show wouldn't be picked up if you weren't funny. We had a 30 share. Like, we did great. Well, to most people in the world, the funniest actor or actress in Seinfeld, probably I would presume if Jerry were sitting here, he would say he was the fourth funniest person on the show, yet the most wildly successful person of all of them. When you're the lead character in a sitcom, I'm sure Jimmy Burroughs told you that you're not supposed to be the funniest person. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. You know, when Martin did his show, he was the funniest. When Roseanne does her show, she's the funniest. But she was a stand-up. Martin was a stand-up. Normally, you need to be the grounding point with the craziness around you. Yeah, no, that was that was told to me. And I understood that. I understood that. It was just a really difficult position. To, it was a difficult show because it was on... NBC, but it was owned by CBS. So they both kind of didn't want it to succeed, and then it did, like, kind of. And it just became a really difficult situation. And I didn't have... I also was... It was at a time when there was Roseanne, there was Sybil Shepherd's show, and someone else that was very difficult. They were all three difficult... Brad Butler. Yes. Very difficult women. So they wanted... They were afraid to, like, give me any strength because they thought I'd turn it to them. And I was like, dudes, I've been out here for... T- 18 years I've been acting in Hollywood. I've never been difficult. I'm not turning difficult right now. So it was just a, I don't, I had, I had lunch with one of the writers or dinner with one of the writers recently, and he remembered it so differently than me. I was, it was so hard for me to do that show. It's incredible because when you think about it, you did 100 episodes. Mm -hmm. 98. That's all they allowed us to do. 98. The point being is that. I want you to tell me how many women that you know who've done a hundred episodes of the title role of their own television show. Not that many, but to to be honest, I haven't been on a network show since. Well, that's because you had babies. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. It's true. So you're trying to tell me that since Caroline in the City, you've tested for numerous pilots and you haven't gotten one you haven't even done a pilot i just did a pilot it didn't get picked up but it was the first network pilot i've done since carolina in the city did you test or did they give you the role they gave me the role but they didn't pick it up how is it possible i literally don't know i don't know how it's possible that i haven't done a that i did all those movies that made all that money and as soon as i had my second kid i have not done i've barely done a feature like a regular big studio feature like I was, like, in one scene in, like, J. Edgar. That's it. But I've made a great living. That's the weird thing. Like, I have a big house, and you know what I mean? I still make a great living, but that's one of the reasons I'm directing. They're, I just, and it's not like I did anything, you know, you're sitting for me. I didn't do anything crazy with my face. I'm not fat. I'm not a drunk. I'm, like, I'm here. I, but I, that's why I do, um, I mean, I did do Switch at Birth for five years, so, and I directed the 100th episode, but that's why I have to direct, because it's just, like, and I'm not bitter. I just, it, is, it is weird, though. I mean, it is weird. It was really weird when I did this pilot and I thought, I haven't, I have barely auditioned for any pilots or gone to the network for any pilots. And I have not done a network pilot since Caroline in the City and my daughter's 22. So it's 22 years. Will you audition for anything? I will audition. I'm, but I have to tell you, I might not be the best at it because I don't do it very much. So I'm. My, probably my people 
try to keep me from auditioning because I'm probably not very great at it. Like the most terrified I've been in a long time, like, and I've done crazy things. Like I do crazy things. I like do dancing with the stars, like scary things. I direct, I directed a mom when I'd never done multi-camera before. And you know how hard that, that's different. It's very different with the quad split and all that. What she's alluding to is that in multi-camera, you have to sit in this director's chair with the four different things and see what's what, and you have to put it all together. And, and... I can't remember names. You're supposed to be like, Joe, <laughs> go in, get a close-up. You know what I mean? I can't remember everybody's name. And you, and all the writers are, like, standing there, like, you know. It's, a, it's a, just a different way of directing. And so I did that the week that Alice and Janney got nominated for an Academy Award. So I do scary things. But I got this pilot, this Lee Daniels pilot, for Fox, and they gave it to me. And then I had to audition with some friends of mine. They 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 didn't have the part, and I did. So I was doing, like you were talking about, an old-fashioned screen test with them. And I was never so scared in my whole life. It was, it was C. Thomas Howell and Tom Wilson, two people that I worked with C. Thomas Howell a million years ago in Red Dawn, and Tom Wilson played Biff in Back to the Future. And I was terrified that I was going to screw it up, and I literally was like the worst acting in the history of acting because I was scared for them. I, I have no explanation. Like, I do all this other scary stuff, and I'm fine. I sing the national anthem for the World Series, and I'm fine. But that <laughs> made me scared. Clint Eastwood. Um, Clint Eastwood, I did J. Edgar, and it was really a weird experience, like, because he just runs a set in a completely different way than anybody else. So it was really fun for me to watch. But it's really scary because he only kind of gives you one or two takes at the very most, and he doesn't say action or cut. It's just weird. And everyone was really nervous, and everyone's really quiet. The crew's really quiet. And they're just, like, all like, okay. And you start acting. You're like, <laughs> I, I thought it was weird. And he, but he's amazing, and people love his movies. The failure of Howard the Duck. <laughs> Howard the Duck is such an interesting thing because I'm out amongst them all the time because I do these conventions, you know. And um, so I get to see what real fans are about and, you know, the people who are really excited about going into a big hall and coming to meet you. And there's a lot of Howard the Duck fans, and there's always been a lot of Howard the Duck fans. They keep releasing new Blu-rays of it, so they're not just doing that to be nice to George Lucas. They're doing it because people buy them. So I feel really strongly about Howard the Duck. I feel really upset because, you know, he was my boyfriend, that that the movie was not that great. or was. It's not that it wasn't great. It just they should have made it later. I just, I wish Howard the Duck would get his due. So, as a matter of fact, I'm going to pitch a new Howard the Duck to Marvel because I want it to be done well. See the new Avengers movie? The amount of talent that's up there is like, I mean, these are all our greatest actors in weird suits. I mean, and they're great. So it's just like a weird thing. So anyway, I'm pitching a new Howard the Duck. John Hughes. John Hughes. I mean, I have a really interesting relationship with John Hughes because my husband did Pretty in Pink and Some Kind of Wonderful, and The Great Outdoors. And I did Dennis the Menace and Some Kind of Wonderful. So we, we had a long relationship with John Hughes. Um, I, I went to his son's wedding. Uh, I knew him very well. And he was just a really interesting cat. And um, I, wish that, I wish that they would make some of these movies. Like, literally, I wish they would make the first Some Kind of Wonderful. Like, 
make some of these movies that are sitting there, but they won't. But he was a really interesting guy. I remember one time he, when I was shooting some kind of wonderful, he came up to me and he took my handbag, my prop handbag, and he opened it up to look inside to see if I was a real actor, if I'd filled the prop bag with real stuff. And I had, thank God. Nowadays, forget about it. But at that time, like when I did Back to the Future, I had coins from the 50s and lipstick from the 50s. I had all, like, I had literally 1950s props in my bag and some kind of wonderful. I had I'd done all that. So I passed the test, thank God. Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis, he, such an amazing guy. And I loved watching him be happy when he made all the Back to the Future movies, when he would just, he would never give up. He would always be thinking about how to fill the frame, how to change things, how to make things better, and how to how to leave little Easter eggs for people to see the next time they saw the movie. And he kept saying that. When someone sees it two or three times, I was like, well, dude, now people see it a hundred times. They've seen, a lot of people have seen Back to the Future a hundred times. And he he would just start laughing when you did something right. And, you know, I had a, we had a really, I had a really difficult part because the whole movie hinged on a couple of scenes acting wise like there was like when I had to fall in love with him with my son and when I had to fall out of love with my son they were really big moments and I didn't realize it I mean I'll never forget that scene where I was kissing Michael in the car and and I pull back and I go it's like kissing my brother and he 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 knew that the whole movie hinged on people buying these dramatic, like you couldn't use special effects. They had to buy it. And and it was really important to him. And I, I now see as a, as a fellow director those moments and how important they were. And he was really inspiring to me. He never gave up. He was, and and he would be so tickled when he thought of something or when we did something right. Tom Cruise. Tom was such a serious actor. I mean, I didn't really know much about acting when I did All the Right Moves, which was my second film with him. And he was, he really taught me a lot about how to be an actor, how to take it seriously, how to be serious about it. And this is a, a seems like a tawdry story, but when I did, when I auditioned for All the Right Moves, I didn't want to take my top off, and that was one of the requirements. So I went in to audition for a smaller part, and they said, you're really good. Why don't you audition for the lead part? And I was like, I don't want to take my top off. And they were like, well, think about it. So I came back, and I did my kind of final screen test. And I remember, oh, God, what I remember, and they were like, we really want to take you. We're going to pay for you to go to L.A. and do a screen test, but we have to make sure you'll take your shirt off. And I was like. I was a dancer, so I didn't really care, but I was like, okay, here. <laughs> I was like, ugh. So that was like a whole thing surrounding the movie. And when we got to the movie, and there were supposed to be two scenes where I took my shirt off that were heavily negotiated, and Tom Cruise, like, really stood up for me. And there was one scene where we're making out in a car, and he, like, talked him out of it. He helped me kind of talk them out of my boobs in that scene. And then when we had this love scene, um, 
Tom said, well, if she's going to take off her clothes, I'll take off my clothes. We'll make it a love scene about two people losing their virginity together, the two people really making a commitment to each other about love. And we'll make a scene about, a really beautiful scene about teenage people making love for the first time. And he really stood up for me. Like, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to be that cool of a dude. And he really did. And it's a really beautiful scene. He takes his cross off and puts it in his pocket. And when we got in bed, we both had white socks on, like nothing but white socks. And then they had to kind of take that out because it was hilarious. Um, But he was right there with me. And that's really cool. Like, you can say whatever you want or people can always talk about Tom Cruise and everything. But he's a really, he's a gentleman and he's a good guy. And um, I'll never forget that. I just want to take a minute to share another groundbreaking, environmentally sound product with you. It's an unbelievable, revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates and it will make your life so much better. It's like no other product you'll ever find in the world. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. As you know, air inside our homes can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. And until now, the only thing that could get rid of all these things in your house that were damaging to you and your family were systems that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the Air Doctor and share it with you. It removes everything, dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate through your home that cover your walls, floors, and furniture. You can get the Air Doctor right now. It's normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for you guys, for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300 off the Amazon price. Just go to airdoctorpro.com. Type in the promo code Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry. I have one of these. I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. It's truly incredible. It works for me, and it'll work for you. Your favorite movie of all time that you weren't in or had no part of? Harold and Maude. I love that movie. I was like 10 when it came out, and I just love that movie. And I'm so sad I never got to even meet Hal Ashby. But I I did meet Bud Court and Ruth Corden, and um, I love everything about that movie every word every the soundtrack i love the soundtrack by just by cat stevens nothing but cat stevens i don't know that was my jam your most memorable episode of television that you ever saw that you weren't in or had nothing a part of well you know i'm going back to my childhood like my two favorite shows were bat the original batman and star trek um i loved i loved star trek i don't know (laughs) It's so bad. But I am watching Handmaid's Tale right now, which I, my husband can't watch, but I love it. Your proudest moment in show business? I think, besides my movie now, The Year Spectacular Man, with my children, of course, I'm super proud, but I'm not, I can't find a single moment. But I remember when Back to the Future came out, 
My boyfriend at the time, Dennis Quaid, and I went to go see it at the, it, it had already been out for four weeks. We went to the Cinerama Dome and we pulled, we were like, let's just go see it. And um, we pulled in and the guys at the thing, they were like, oh my God, Leah Thompson, well, just park your car here. Don't have to pay. And I went in and there was, it was sold out. And we stood in the back, at the back on a wall and watched the audience for the whole show. Just, and I was like, this is incredible. Like this never happens. And they were laughing, and that was really, I was proud. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level? I'd say my biggest disappointment was way back when, when I was a dancer, when I didn't make it as a dancer. That moment that I told you about when I was realized I just didn't have it. It was really wrestling with God. I was like, why would you give me the desire to be this but not give me just not enough talent not enough of a good body to do this why would you do that to me that was upsetting to me to have the to have it but not be to almost have it but not quite is very cruel (laughs) last question what advice would you have for the young person growing up in a small town and minnesota or wherever it is poor family has nothing just trying to follow their God-given talent, gets their legs broken by one of the greatest people in the field. And how do they get past it and fight through it and have the kind of career that you've had and the kind of amazing, amazing personal life that you've had and the family that you've had? I mean, I think this is such an exciting time. You were talking about this, is that you can create your own thing. It's like, it's all about being, it's, it's about the, the, the doing, not the result. But it's hard for people. It, it, it's hard for people. If you get stuck thinking about the results, it's scary to do the, the doing that's going to get you to where you need to go. And the courage to continue. Because, you know, there's just so many people that, there's just so many times that you're going to, that people are going to say no. And here's the deal. Like, my mother was such an incredible thing. Like, she painted and painted, and she was literally the most talented person I know. I mean, she could compose. She could sing. She could sculpt. She could write. She could do everything. And she never really achieved, like, any kind of stardom. And she wasn't even bitter about it. It was always just about the doing. And there she was. She just painted and painted and sang and wrote and did it. But she lived the way she wanted to live. Like, there's sacrifices you make to come to L.A. and go to New York and leave your family. And, you know, there's things that you give up. But if, you know, you can create your own thing now, or we couldn't when we were, you know, when we were in our 20s or 30s, you couldn't just take your iPhone and make a movie. People can create their own things now, and they can put it on the Internet. It's a whole new world where you can, you don't, you don't have to just wait for someone to give you a job. So I think it's just a really incredible time but it takes a lot of courage and a lot of getting up and and getting up after that those disappointments and 
you know, that's what I'm most proud of with my kids is like they've had so many disappointments, and but they've seen me and they've seen their dad like have a lot of setbacks, but you just continue to like fight your way because that's what you have to do. And don't do it unless you have to do it because it's like <laughs> really difficult. But if you have to do it, you have to just get up every day and keep going forward and doing one, putting one foot in front of the other and not letting bitterness destroy you. You know, keep yourself, keep your spirit strong because that's all you have. And so many people, their spirits just get destroyed by bitterness and, you know, it should have been and I could have and if they only did that, you know. There is no explanation. You and I have been in this business a long time. I I go to I I see auditions and like everybody's good. There's someone had to get the job, so that person got the job, but there were four other really great people. You know, it's there's no explanation. <laughs> it's just who's left standing with their spirit intact, you know, and that's that's also really important is to take care of yourself and for me is is has been to take care of them my own heart and my own spirits because that's like I said before that's all I have that's all I have Leah Thompson <laughs> wow you you blow me away thank you it's been such a pleasure it's been a really pleasure talking with you okay i'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on... Podcast Addict 2, July 25th, 2017. Heading reads, I never thought I'd find the people he interviews interesting. Five stars. It reads, Jay Moore was my gateway to Barry Katz. I went back and binge listened from the beginning. I have found that people I thought would be interesting are interesting. But among the most interesting are the people I had never heard of or who I had no interest in hearing. So my recommendation is listen to them all. Wow. Thank you so much, Podcast Addict number two. I appreciate it. Congratulations. You are a winner. Okay, before we wrap up, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Boku Superfoods, the highest quality, healthiest superfood formulations on the planet filled with the most nutritious parts of plants, vegetables, roots, and fruits, certified organic, kosher, and vegan. Make your own juice or smoothie in a few minutes. Just add liquid, shake it, and take it. Go to bokusuperfoods.com and type in the promo code Barry, and you'll get 20% off everything. Boku Superfoods. Feel better inside and look better outside. And AquaTrue, the groundbreaking small countertop water purifier. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry. Get $100 off and get the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. 
and the groundbreaking documentary I Killed JFK and the additional interviews of five of the last remaining JFK assassination experts. It features the only living person in history to admit to killing President Kennedy. You can purchase these exclusively at IKilledJFK.com. When Trump says he wants to drain the swamp, what do you think's at the bottom of the swamp? Trust me, I guarantee it will change the way you look at the world. And the incredible air purifier, the air doctor, that removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and everything bad in your house. You can save $300 right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and entering the promo code Barry and finally start breathing in clean and healthy air in your home starting today. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my partners at Wondery. They are truly amazing. Recently, they asked me to request if you would just take a few minutes of your time to complete a short survey. Just go to wondery.com survey, and you can do it straight from your smartphone. It'd really help us out here at the show and at Wondery. That's wondery.com survey. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, till it all feels you pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.